Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research, ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles. Welcome to The Chase. You know, when uh, one of the most well-known uh, events of Jesus's life that's covered by all the movies and all the books and and all the theological uh, workbooks about the life of Jesus is his what is being called the Sermon on the Mount. And it doesn't matter whether it was all said at one setting or whether it's a number of settings like some people say what difference does it make? It's the fact that he was teaching his disciples before those disciples were uh, sent out to minister for him in, uh, on his behalf and ministering beside him. He felt like they would need some teaching. And one of the teachings that he did was one that uh, within this Sermon on the Mount that was so important that showed them that you cannot hide, you cannot compromise, and you must be balanced on whatever you do, especially when you're doing it for me and on behalf of me. And uh, we, we begin to, to read this in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And, and let's turn to that, the Matthew, the fifth chapter of uh, uh, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, actually, um, uh, or near the beginning. Uh, we'll be looking at verse number 13. So Matthew 5, 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a bunda, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Now, Jesus was just about ready to launch into his ministry uh, with his disciples. He had been ministering some without them, but now the call of his disciples, at this time he had six, and so he was teaching them on what to do and and uh, what you will recognize and what you will witness, what you witness in, for me and what you're working with me and ministering with me. So pay attention. And But one of the first things I want to teach you is this, these three principles that you can't compromise, that you can't hide, and you have to be balanced. Now, the first thing he talked about was the salt. 
you have the salt of the earth. Now, at this time, salt was a very precious commodity. In fact, it was more precious than, than gold and silver. The uh, uh, emperors, uh, Augusta for one, and Tiberius, they would uh, conquer areas, uh, especially in Europe, um, for the the sole purpose of of uh, gleaning uh, their salt and and uh, their salt mines, Hallstatt, Austria was one of those that uh, uh, Augustus Caesar conquered Hallstatt for one reason only, and that's to take control of their salt mines. Now the salt became a uh, an important commodity under Alexander the Great, and uh, it remained so for the preservation of meat. Uh, for throughout his conquests and, and so forth. And so by the time of the Romans, you know, 300 years later, uh, at this time, uh, salt had become a pretty much of an indispensable uh, commodity within the empire. It's just like in, in, uh, in our today's world. You know, a refrigerator 100 years ago was a luxury. Uh, if you could even get one, ice boxes were were the the go if you could afford one. But refrigerators are something that only the elite could have. Now everybody has a refrigerator, and you have to have it. You know, twenty years ago, cell phones were only for the uh, for the elite and for those that were wealthy and for the uh, uh, CEOs of companies and so forth. Now everybody has a cell phone. You really can't function without it. Once upon a time, salt was only for the rich and it was for something that was a luxury. But by the time of Jesus's life, salt had become an absolute necessity. And so... Salt was such a precious commodity, not because it was uh, it was uh, uh, extremely valuable like gold and silver, but it was extremely valuable because it was an everyday life type thing. So Jesus talks about this salt, and salt was quite uh, quite a uh, an interesting concept uh, for the for the Jews and for Judea because. Augustus Caesar and then later Tiberius Caesar allowed the Jews to pay one half of their tax liabilities to Rome in the form of salt. The world's largest exposed region of salt was around the, the Dead Sea in uh, uh, in Judea. And so the, the Jews would go down there with their wagons and they'd load it up full of uh, salt and so forth and take it and have it weighed and, and it would go to one half of what was owned owed to Rome for their uh, for their taxes. Well, th this would be shipped overground or overland to the ports of Caesarea Maritima and Jaffa and then they'd be loaded on ships. Well, they didn't just take a load of uh, of salt to Rome just in one ship. They waited until they had a caravan of ships, you know, six, seven, eight, nine. And, um, and so in the meantime, when this salt was loaded onto the ships, they would cover it so to protect it from the weather. And then once they got this number of ships, and they would ship it to Rome. Now, the zealots who were in the north, were uh, they hated Rome, and they tried to do anything to sabotage Roman rule. And so what they would do under the cover of night, they would come in uh, into these ships and go underneath the covers, and they would mix dirt 
and with the uh, the salt. And that's what is called salt losing its savor. And so the captain of the ship didn't know it. Nobody knew it. And so they took off. And so the dirt caused a chemical reaction with the salt. So by the time it got to Rome, it was worthless. And too much dirt to be any good for uh, salt and too much salt to be any good for dirt. And so for a number of years, they just dumped it in the ocean because it was worthless. And uh, so then uh, Augustus Caesar came up with an idea. At that time, Rome was building roads all over the world and uh, thousands of miles of, uh, of roads. And so the construction that they had was uh, they would put sand and then gravel and then stones and then the flagstones, the paving stones. And, uh, and the, the roads were very well and it was, uh, they, were, they were excellent uh, until grass started growing up in the, in the roads. And then that broke open the paving stones and caused for a rough ride. Well, Augusta came up with an idea. He felt that uh, in the roads, the construction of the roads, that he would take this, this salt dirt combination and put it uh, as a one of the layers in road construction. So, uh, so he did that. And so now when the grass began to grow up, it would hit this layer of salt dirt and they would die. And so consequently, the roads, the Roman roads, without having to be broken apart by the, uh, by the vegetation that was growing up through there, would last for years. As a matter of fact, I've even traveled on some of these Roman roads that were built 2,000 years ago, and they're still excellent roads. So what Jesus was saying to his disciples with this analogy is that, you know, you have a choice. You can either be pure you can either be holy and acceptable to the Lord, or you can mix yourself with the world. But if you mix yourself with the world, then what's going to happen is you're going to have too much of the world to be any good for salt, to be any good for God, and you're going to have too much God to be any good for the world. And so you can't compromise. You have to either be one or the other. And then he went on to talk about a city that set on a hill. Most likely, Jesus was pointing to Abada when that was happening. Uh, during the reign of uh, Herod the Great, he had warning cities that were built uh, all the way from the north to the south. And one warning city could see the other warning city. And these warning cities were, were used as not only to warn of approaching enemy, but also sanctuary cities, that um, they would be the first ones that's attacked because of the early warning system uh, throughout the country. And they did this by, by way of flags or in the nighttime of torches. And so just let me explain to you what, uh, uh, in regard to, say, the torch. If there was a torch on these warning cities, early warning cities, that was uh, set on the north wall and it was uh, blazing on the north wall, it meant all was okay. If there was a torch on the north wall and the east wall, it meant that enemy had been sighted. So if you're in the area, uh, all of you down in the valley and in the area of uh, I, I, I side of this, of this sanctuary city, come and come to the safety of the city. Now, if there was a torch on the north wall, 
the west wall and the east wall. It meant that the enemy was approaching this city and to attack it. And so come now immediately. The gates are going to be closing. If there was a torch that was, uh, that was lit on all four walls of this square city, it meant that we were now under siege. The gates are closed. You cannot seek refuge in this city again because they are closed. Go someplace else. And then if there was all of the torches were extinguished, it meant that the city had fallen. Now, these cities, they had a choice to live there. And they received special privileges. They received a salary from Rome. They received uh, special recognition. Uh, they also were tax-free. And so they, could, they, they had these privileges that only those residents of that city could have. Wasn't mandatory that you, that you stay there. But if you wanted the privileges of the city, you also had to have the responsibility. So if the people run into the city for uh, security, you have to take care of them. You have to mend their wounds. You have to feed them. You have to give them water. You have to give them a place to stay. Uh, give them comfort during the time that the city is being attacked and the region is being attacked. So if you want the privileges of the city and the residents of the city, then you also have to accept the responsibility. And so Jesus is telling his disciples this. He says, you are a city that's set on a hill. You have a responsibility. If you say you you are my followers and you are my disciples, then you must do what I do. You must say what I say. And people who come to you for comfort and help, you have to be there to help them. Now, you have a choice. You don't have to accept me as Savior. You don't have to be my follower. You don't have to be my disciple. But if you do, then you'll have privileges. You'll have eternal life. You'll have my comfort. You'll have my peace. You'll have my Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You'll have all of these things. But if you accept the, the good, and if you accept the privileges, then you also must accept the responsibility. You must pray for the persecuted. You must help those that are in need. You must give to the poor. You must uh, give uh, help, spiritual, emotional, physical, to all of those in need who come to you for help. You cannot hide. You must do what I expect for you to do you are a city set on a hill. And then he talked about a candle. Now, at that time, they didn't have any candles. Most of the light was given by uh, oil lamps. And an oil lamp burned um, all the time, 24 hours a day. And what you would do in the daytime is that this oil lamp would put would be put on a stand. The, the King James called it a candle stand, but it's a, it's a lamp stand. And you put it on this stand that gave light to the entire room and to the entire uh, house, and uh, w which is fine. But, but what about at night when you want to go to sleep? Well, you would take the, the, the oil lamp down from off of the stand. You'd put it beside your bed. And then you'd put over that lamp something that's called a bunda. Now, a bunda, and in archaeology, we found many of these in the Roman world. A bunda, if you can imagine a, uh, a flower pot. 
Well, a bunda was an upside down flower pot that had a hole in the top, uh, maybe about as big as a silver dollar. And so the lamp would always be lit and it would not, uh, it wouldn't go out, but because there was enough oxygen within the bunda uh, that it would keep run, uh, it would keep uh, burning. But the, you put the bunda over it and it would, uh, it would make the light go directly up, right straight up. And so it wouldn't be filling the room with light as if, as if it was on a light stand, but it went right straight up, would give you enough light that if you had to get up in the middle of the night, it would, it would supply you that amount of light, but not enough to wake up the family members. Um, and so uh, this is what Jesus said about, about them, that you've you got to be balanced in, in what you do, because the, the, the light stand, you know, when you, when you put the light and you are the light, Jesus said, you are the light. And so put it on a stand so the whole uh, world can see where you stand. Uh, let your salvation be known. Let your light shine so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Um, but there's also a place, there's also a time where that light has to go right straight up. There is a time for personal devotion. There is a time for praise and worship to God that in which your light, your worship, your energies go right straight up. Now, we had a, a situation uh, uh, in uh, Amsterdam uh, Holland and Netherlands not long ago we had a uh, uh, praise and worship uh, uh, conference for two days and the place was just absolutely packed and like 10,000 people a day and then days three and four we had a personal evangelism uh, conference where we taught people how to witness and how to uh, lead others to the Lord. And uh, on that third day with, with this uh, learning how to witness and learning how to uh, tell people about the Lord, we had 250 people. And then the fourth day we had less than 100. So people were excited about learning to worship and learning how to praise and all of the praise and worship things. But when it came to spreading the gospel, showing their light, telling how to, how to talk to people about Christ, it was something that they didn't want. It was something that was not, that they did not want to be a part of their life. And that became a, a realization to me. Now, when Jesus talks about this, he says, there are those times when it's necessary for your life to go straight up. But you know, when you're worshiping the Lord, there's not too many people get saved with watching you worship. You feel better. You feel like you're acknowledging the presence of the Lord. You're honoring Him. You're praising Him. You're adoring Him, which is fantastic. But also, that lamp has to be on the lamp stand also. On that lampstand is where the people see your light. That's where the people see what you stand for, hear what you're saying about Jesus, and that's where they glorify God and see 
the uh, what Jesus has done for you and for others. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, there absolutely is a time for worship and praise, but there's also a time for the lamp to shine out so it'll shine in the whole room and that everybody in it can be blessed and can be and can be seen and see the light that is within you. And so you have to be balanced on what you do. And if his disciples had to be taught by Jesus himself to have a balanced life, how much more is it for us? We also have, a, have to have balance in our life. There's nothing that I like more than to go into a service and spend an hour worshiping Jesus, just lifting your hands and praising Him and acknowledging Him and letting the Spirit flow and, 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 and your heart just bursting at the seams in your adoration to the Lord and your praise and your worship to the Lord. And there's nothing that I like any better than that. But I also know that with me worshiping the Lord inside of that facility, whether it be a church, whether it be a conference, an auditorium, whatever the case may be, with me worshiping the Lord in that setting, those people that are right outside on the sidewalk are right down the street in the bars. They are not hearing what I'm doing, and they are not seeing the light of Jesus. And so not only... Can I have that liberty to worship him? But I also have to go out. And I also have to share that light with those that are not inside that auditorium. Those that are not inside that church. And so we have a responsibility. Number one, we cannot compromise. We can't mix dirt with salt. You can't be so mixed up that you're no good for anything. You're not any good for God or not any good for the world. Choose one or the other. And hopefully we choose the salt that we are the most precious thing in God's sight. Next, we can't hide. He told his disciples you can't hide. You have a choice. Either accept me or reject me. If you reject me, then you don't have the responsibilities of those that accept me. But if you accept me, then here are responsibilities that you must meet and expectations. So if you are in that position, you cannot hide. And then you must be balanced. Balance yourself between the spreading of the gospel of Christ and the worship to the originator of that gospel, Jesus Christ and God our Father. And so as it was for the disciples at that time, so it is for the 21st century disciples today. We too cannot compromise. We too cannot hide. And we too must be balanced. Now part of that balancing is to let your hearts be broken for those that are in need. And some of the most desperate needs that I know of in the world today are the persecuted believers. 173,000 converts from Islam to Christianity last year died for the cause of Christ. They need your prayers. 
They need your prayers desperately. And what I'd like for you to do today is to make a commitment that you commit that you will pray at least five minutes a day for the persecuted believers. Five minutes. And, and this is five quality minutes I'm asking for. Not, not five minutes as you are running down the road to go to your work. Not the five minutes as you're on your pillow about to go to sleep at night. No. Before you leave for work. Before you lay down for the night. Five minutes of concentrated prayer for them. For them. And, and they're asked for this. They ask to live one more day. They ask that they would have the grace to forgive their oppressors. And number three, that they could tell one person about Jesus before they die. That's the only prayers they ask for. So if you will agree with, with us, agree with me, that and accept that challenge as a light on the hill. Accept that challenge and say, I will. I will pray for the persecuted believers. Write a note to yourself. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Stick it in your Bible that I will pray five minutes a day for the persecuted believers starting today. And if you've made that commitment before, then recommit it now. And you can even add a few minutes if you want to for us. We're still ministering in the Middle East. We've been there about 30 years, and we're still there. We're still helping the widows. We're still helping the orphans. We're still ministering to the persecuted believers in the garbage cities of the region and, and those that are being persecuted tremendously. So have an extra minute for us, if you don't mind. But most especially for those persecuted believers, and I hope persecution does not come to America. But, you know, we're not immune to it. If persecution was part of the lives of the saints for the last 2,000 years, why do we think that we are immune? And so we don't know when it's going to happen, but there is a very great possibility that it will. Hopefully we can stand as much as these people are standing, but they can stand even more persecution with your help, with your prayers. Five minutes a day, that's all we ask. Thank you so much for your commitment. Thank you for your time today, and the Lord bless you. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.